Podcasting from Phoenix, Arizona, the home of year-round flip-flops, the nation's largest city park, and Cactus League spring training. This is The Saver and the Spender, a weekly podcast about budgeting and money habits from both perspectives. And now, here are your hosts, The Saver and financial coach, Kelsa Dickey, and her husband, The Spender, Michael Dickey. And welcome to episode five of The Saver and the Spender. We made it five uh, episodes in so far, so... We're on a roll. That's pretty... Pretty good. Hopefully, uh, you guys are all enjoying them and and getting some uh, information and tips and uh, some humor on our behalf. You know what I would like to know from people? If when you're listening, because I know people are listening, we're getting some pretty good feedback and we're getting some comments and questions and all that kind of stuff. I want to know when are you listening? Are you listening in the car? Are you listening while you're working out or running or sitting, hanging out at home? Like, yeah. when are you listening? I want to know. live on Facebook, or, or are you actually doing the podcast, or are you doing it, like, um, on, on our website? Yeah, on our are website? you listening yeah. on our website? What are you doing? I want to yeah. know. Let so us tell know. Me. Tell please. me, please. That'd be great, because then mm-hmm. we can do something about it, which I don't know what that'd be, but we can do something <laughs> about it, I'm sure. <laughs> good, good example. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> so today, uh, the, the main topic for today is about budgeting and saving for travel and vacations. It's going to be that uh, getting to be that time of year yes. where people start to travel for holidays and Christmas vacation. and um, Gets very know, expensive. expensive. But also we just finished a very popular time of travel, which is the summer. So it's a really good time to start thinking about next summer and getting Mm -hmm. ready for that. Financially, we want to start planning now right after it happens. So the best time to plan for a car repair is right after a car repair hits you. You know, that way for the next one, you're ready if you weren't ready for the last one. Right. So it's kind of the same thing. The best time to think about Christmas is in January when nobody wants to think about it. And the best time to think about travel is today. Mm -hmm. Best time to plan a tree? I don't know. You've said this to me a million (laughs) times. 30 years ago. 30 years ago. It's the second best time. Today. Yeah. Okay, there we go. Say that again so everybody else can hear it. What's the best, Confucius say, What is (laughs) when is the best time to plant a tree? When, honey? Well, actually, let's do it this way. Hold on, so let's start (laughs) over. Confucius say, when's the second best time? I don't know how it goes. Okay, (laughs) the best time to plant a tree is 30 years ago. Okay. The second best time is today. Yes, that makes more sense to me. That's all you yeah. needed to do. I was just going to get all smart and Asian. <laughs> nice. Confucius, you know. Yes, okay. Um, so uh, we're going to talk about budgeting, saving for vacations and travel and the differences and how to um, do things as inexpensively as possible. And we last podcast, we did go over some websites. We're going to briefly talk about them just so you guys can find the, or, you know, use the best websites to book your travel. Okay, yep. Uh, but first, we want to talk about, um, in, in the news, if you haven't heard, there's that um, a technical school called ITD Tech, yes. right? And it's nationwide. There's like 40,000 students almost, 35,000 students throughout the whole country, and, and they just closed suddenly. Mm-hmm. Um, so here, here's what, um, I think this was CNN Money said about it. So about 35,000 students were expecting to return to class at ITT Tech Institute next week. But instead, they're left scrambling to figure out how to transfer their credits after all 130 campuses were suddenly shut down. Some of the students had gone back to school to become nurses. Others are single parents trying to get their associate's degree and support their family. Many are veterans who used up their GI Bill benefits on a degree that they may not even be able to finish. Now they're left with a pile of student loans and no degree to show for it, and recent grads worry their degree has been rendered worthless. 
crazy. So why did why did ITT shut down? So uh, the school was in jeopardy of losing its accreditation. Uh, mm-hmm. That that became the final straw for the Department of Education, which has been concerned about the school for years. They're looking to the, some of their practices. I read this in another article, but they're looking to some practices and. Um, the promises they made for their students and their education standards mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. But as a result, the government cut off their federal financial aid for new students. That's a big problem for ITT, a, a for-profit college that relies on federal grants, loans, and students receive for a big chunk of its revenue. Without it, ITT decided it could no longer operate. Students now have two options. Listen to this. Give up and have the federal loans wiped away or try to transfer to a new school, although ITT admits its credits are unlikely to be accepted elsewhere. Oh. This makes me sad. Yeah. So sad. these students, their school closes. Imagine if, you know, we met in college. Michael and I met in college, for those of you that don't know that. Mm-hmm. So imagine we're going through college. You know, you work your tail off in college, and you get through half your program, and then you find out it's for nothing because the school closes, and right. all of that's for nothing. And, you know, ITT admits its credits are unlikely to be accepted elsewhere. Right. So pretty much... I guess what you're saying is one of the options that the federal loans are actually going to be wiped away, mm-hmm. which is a good thing financially for those students that kind of wasted their money. But what about the, they wasted their time? Right. And energy. Yeah. Isn't that yeah, sad? It is sad. And, you know, I looked when I when I Googled ITT Tech closing mm-hmm. to find some different articles and, and do a little bit more research. They're, they're like they're the top, you know, how in Google they have the ads. The top two things are usually ads. Um, and there was actually one that already said, uh, ITT Tech students transfer your credits to this certain school. And I didn't see what it was because we were... Oh, so maybe for there time, is one. So okay. I, I, you would think that, I mean, why would they want to lose out? These other technical schools want to lose out on some potential students. Whether yeah, 35,000 potential yeah, new yeah, students huge. for them. Hopefully they can find a school where they can go in there. It, yeah. It's not for nothing, I guess, exactly. is what I hope. But, yep. you know, I always look at things as like, what can we take from this? Or what mm-hmm. can we learn from this? And attending a school that has credits that easily transfer to another school or um, a community college where it transfers to the four-year college in that town or something, I think is, you know, probably something you want to be looking for when you're looking for a school to attend. Right. What do you think? Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of people do that when they do they do a year or two of community college or something, and then they want, to, want those credits to transfer that they... Um, that's something you should definitely look for. I think the other thing um, is that if you're doing a specific program, there are, I, I'd say for most programs, there is some type of um, standard and accreditation. And you can find that accrediting body and, and look at uh, how that school is doing in their accredita- accreditation. Right, you know? right. So that's... You do have to do your That's research so a little bit. Yeah, because if their accreditation was in jeopardy, how long had it been in jeopardy and right. that kind of thing. Um, the, I, I don't know how this is working. If anybody knows, please comment on Facebook Live. But, you know, these federal loans are going to be forgiven, apparently, or wiped out or whatever the term is. I don't know. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming the taxpayers are paying for that. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. So this is just unfortunate for everybody, I think. Yeah, you know. I think that we can only assume that that's what's going to happen. Yeah. So the next thing we want to talk about is Kelsa's financial rule of dumb. Oh, So explain yeah. again what a financial rule of dumb is. So there are all of these financial rules of thumb out there. And, uh, I mean, if you Google it, there are 
every million article that says like, oh, here's 24 rules of thumb, here's 30 rules of thumb, here's the five rules of thumb. So, but really they're endless pretty much. So, and they're all these rules of thumb that have to do with your money. And it makes people either feel like giving themselves a pat on the back or people who aren't doing it maybe feel guilty or bad about themselves when really a lot of the rules of thumb, we can poke holes in them pretty quickly. And unfortunately, when it comes to money, there's no one size fits all approach at all. So the thing with a rule of thumb is that there's no possible way that that's for everybody. And so people who it don't, it doesn't work for tends, tend to feel very badly about themselves. So I'm here to poke a hole in a rule of thumb. So what's our rule of thumb for this week? It is my house payment should be at least, uh, be at, I'm sorry, my house payment should be at or less than 25% of my take home pay. Oh, yes. Okay. So this is, you'll actually hear a whole bunch of different rules of thumb when it comes to how much of a uh, mortgage payment you can afford. And some of them say 32%. Um, some mortgage brokers, so if you go to buy a house, they'll actually let you be up as high as 43% of your gross pay. Okay. Yeah, that's a lot. Um, so, um, and this can get some people in trouble right? Or if you're not at 25%, let's say you're at 28% and then you maybe feel badly about the house you own um, and maybe just feel a little guilty about it. So here's why a rule of thumb with the kind of house you buy doesn't always make sense. I have some clients who uh, have a house payment that is 50% of their pay, okay? But here's the thing. You might think, oh my God, how could they? That's terrible. When in actuality, they don't care what kind of car they drive. They don't need a new car. Mm. They don't really want to take vacations or drive all over the place or, you know, fly around the world. Um, they simply love their home, and their home is sort of their sanctuary, mm. right? That's cool. So for them, for them, 50% is probably not a big deal because they don't have a bunch of other stuff also added into their budget, right? right? Now, I have some people that... If they were to have a 50%, they also want to maybe drive a newer car, maybe a lease or something and have a new lease every three years. They want to travel a lot, maybe take a couple of vacations a year. They want their kids to have the best of everything. And so if that were the case for them, having a high mortgage payment would not coincide with all the other goals that they have. Hmm. Okay. So you kind of have to look at it, not just from a number standpoint, but where does a home fit into your value system? Okay. So how much does a home speak to you? You know, do you need the nicest home on the block or do you not really care? You know? So I think for us, like we've always just wanted a decent home, right? So, you know, whether or not we could afford a much nicer one is irrelevant to us because we just wanted one that met our needs. Right. You know, um, it was comfortable. Mm -hmm. So if you want sort of the, the biggest, newest one and you want everything else, you're going to have to either have a very large down payment in order to afford it so that your mortgage payment monthly is less, or we're going to have to cut back some of your wants because you can't have that goal along with every other goal and not necessarily plan ahead for it. Right. Makes sense. So that's why that sense. rule of thumb. Yeah. Now, it is a good number to know. So it is a good number to say, how much is my mortgage payment to my take-home pay? Mm-hmm. You simply take all the paychecks you get in a month, so whatever comes into your checking account, so your net amount, and you take your mortgage payment and you divide your mortgage payment by your take-home pay. And that it's going to give you a percentage. Whatever that percentage is, is what we're talking about here. And if it's, like I said, the rule of thumb is 25%, but if you're at 28%, I wouldn't be too hard on yourself. Okay. Mm -hmm. If you're at 40% and things feel tight 
And it's, it could be because you're at 40% and you have a lot of other things in your life too. So if you have a 40% mortgage and a 15% in car payments, mm. we don't have a lot left for the fun stuff. Right. Right. Yeah. So just some, and it was just another way of looking at it is yeah. really all it is. And, and just something that you need to prioritize. Like, do you want the nice house, but then you have to give up some stuff or is that not necessary? And you have to, uh, my priority is uh, these three things and I'll, I can back off in the house a little bit. So, right. right? Exactly. Yeah. Perfect. So it's really about your value system. Great. So let's talk about Aaron Yay. and Eric and we're going to brag them up a little bit. Yes. Okay. So they uh, just took a vacation and they paid cash for it. And you didn't know I was going to do this, but that's the trap <laughs> you're in if you email me. So um, we are actually going to read what she wrote. You want me to read it? Yeah, go okay. ahead. We just returned from our Maui trip and we paid for the entire trip in cash. No credit card debt at all. I'm so proud of us. So are we. This was our best vacation ever. While we were there, we both looked at each other and said we were so glad we went and took the trip. After all the deliberating we did and should uh, and should we or should we not, we made the right decision. It was vacation with the family that we will always remember and cherish. Yay! That's awesome. Uh, I love this because they really did deliberate a lot. And here's the deal. is this? It is a big vacation. For a lot of people, taking a big vacation is a big deal. It's not something you can just... Decide next month we want to take a $10,000 vacation and go, yeah, right? I mean, right. a lot of people don't have that um, wiggle room. So mm-hmm. if you're going to do it, it takes a lot of thought. It takes a lot of time. One of the sort of ideas that I always like to train people is the larger the purchase, the more time it should take to make that decision. So when you're going to go buy fast food for lunch versus spending $10,000 on a vacation, the amount of time it takes to make both of those decisions should not be the same. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. I mean, I know it sounds crazy, but that's what a lot of people do a lot of the times, you know, is so this was a decision that they really, she says, deliberated on and they did. And, uh, they, they obviously put together a perfect budget for their vacation and they spent exactly what they wanted to spend and they didn't use any credit card debt. And as a result, and probably a big part of that is that they came home and they're looking at it and saying that was the best vacation they ever Mm -hmm. had. And it was just such a blessing to them, right? To spend that much time and they cherish it that time with their family where if you come back, we're kind of listening, kind of leaning into the next topic the vacation topic. But if you come back from a vacation and you haven't planned properly for it, it could have been the greatest vacation, but now there's a but in there, Mm -hmm. right? Where that was a great vacation, but now I need to pay for it. Yeah. Yeah. So, and now Aaron and Eric, kudos to you. You get to come home feeling awesome about your vacation and there's no but. You just feel great about it. I'm so proud of you. That's awesome, you guys. I'm proud of you too. Great job. So we want to go to our listener question from Cal. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm going to hold it up here so I can read it. So my friends keep saying they get all these points by using their credit card for everything, then paying it off each month. Should I really switch to paying everything I have on my credit card and then just pay it off? Oh, Cal, this is the question that pretty much all people ask me this constantly, don't they? Yeah, yeah, it's a big, especially when we do, um, I'd say every other uh, corporate workshop presentation we do or the budgeting 2.0 workshop we do with it this comes up this comes up is the idea that i that if you use a credit card every month and pay it off every month that that's okay so i will say that if your system is to use a credit card but you pay it off every month that's better than using a credit card and not paying it off 
Um, but here's a couple of things that I don't like about this scenario that a lot of people don't think about. Um, the first is that if you think about it, if you are taking all of your bills for the month and you're paying them on a credit card this month and you the statement period ends and the, you get the statement in the mail and then your payment is due at the end of that next month, right? Because it's always, you know, they give you like 30 days to pay it. So the statement prints on the 28th of September, you have until October 28th to pay it. What that means is you are using current month's income to pay for last month's expenses, okay? So that is actually a very dangerous position to put your family in if you have a family or yourself in if it's just you. And what I mean by that is let's say you have a three-month emergency fund. And if you are using this system, then you lose your job today, you have all of last month's bills to pay for on your credit card, all of this month's bills are already on the credit card, and then you have to pay for next month. So your three-month emergency fund is actually a one-month emergency fund. Yep. Right. So it's actually allowing you to operate one month behind at all times, which just scares me. Yeah. You know, uh, the other thing is that uh, in some cases, not 100 percent, but in some cases, a credit card allows people to not pay close attention. OK, so, you know, all the bills that go on there and then you simply pay it, they're sort of out of sight, out of mind in the sense that you're just paying the total. So if your cable bill goes up $40 from one month to the next you don't even know it. And I'll tell you, I when I meet with people, I would say probably 75% of the time when we are going through their credit card activity, so 75%, that's a high high number. Yeah. 75% of the time when I go through someone's credit card activity who uses their credit card often, there is a charge on there that is a subscription that's monthly that they did not know mm. was happening. Okay? And for probably going on for months and months and months, right? Yes. I actually just had a client in the last month uh, we saw Shoe Dazzle, that was the name of it. Mm. And they said, oh, you know, our daughter must have done that or something like that. And then, so I had them call to cancel it. It had been going on for eight months, $39.99 a month for eight Whoa. months. What is Shoe Dazzle? I don't know. Actually, are you, gonna, are you going to look it up? Yeah. They should probably pay us some sponsorship dollars yeah. or something. I, no, I picture <laughs> they, you send in, okay, this is what I picture. Let's see if I'm right. You send in your shoes, they bedazzle them, and they mail them back to you. I don't think that's <laughs> it. <laughs> I don't think that's it, but you never know. Um, oh, yes, another... Yep, I was totally right. No, I wasn't it is not. No, okay, it's just a shoe website, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, shoe Shanna subs- has a really good point. Another thing that I see often is like Massage oh, yeah. Envy or Elements Massage, those monthly subscriptions that, again, you sign up at first, you have full intention to get a massage every month, and hey... If you want to get a massage every month, more power to you if you can afford it. Mm-hmm. But then it starts to go on there. You completely forget you're doing it. You don't go get a massage. They start to backlog, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So it's just one of those charges that it makes it so you're not present with all the things going on there. Um, and if you're not careful, what can happen is it can start to feel sort of like a shell game where you have like four different credit cards and your checking account and money is just getting moved all around. And Mm -hmm. so at any given point, your financial situation is completely unknown, Mm -hmm. you know, because you could look at your checking account and see $5,000 in there, but you owe $1,200 on one credit card, $800 on another, $1,000 on another, and you don't really have $5,000, but it's kind of hard to see that very clearly without actually looking up all those accounts and doing the math. Right. Which, again, this is just kind of a waste of energy or a waste of time, okay? Now, I do... You know, I'm not anti-credit card. There are some ways that I like to use it. So maybe we could add that as a future 
podcast talking mm-hmm. or like some of the ways to use a credit card that I think are healthy. Um, I actually don't think, to me, saying credit cards are evil is not a very healthy way to go through life. No. So I don't think there's anything evil about them. I think they can be mismanaged. And I don't really want people to have a very strong emotional rea- reaction to them. I simply want you to know that they can be mismanaged and have just sort of this healthy perspective, mm-hmm. okay? Sure. Um, and take some ownership over the fact that you could make a bad decision because of it, right. you know? Um and so that's why I don't really like, I'm not, I'm not opposed to the points, but I also, there was a study done and maybe we can post this in the footnotes um, of the podcast that the Southwest credit card, there was a study done for, oh, he has got it up right here. It's on it up already. Oh, good. He read my mind. He knew this, that this is where I was going with this. So um, nerdwallet.com, we will post this because it's a very yeah, log, it, yeah. long hyperlink. But um, the, a study was done that, uh, studied the Southwest credit card, which is one of the most popular credit cards. So many of my clients love this credit card. I think there's a $99 annual fee, if that correct. serves yep. me right. Um, yep. The study showed that the value of a point on the Southwest credit card is less than a penny per point. Less than a penny. So this is not something that's going to get you rich. But hey, if you wanted to put a couple things on there... Um, to earn some points, to get cash back. I'm not saying don't do it ever. I'm just saying I wouldn't use it and then pay it off monthly. The strategy I usually like to use is where if you are going to do it, actually pay it weekly. Okay, so every Friday, get into the habit of whatever's on there, pay it. That way you're using real-time money to pay that bill and it's getting out. Let me know what you guys think of that. I would love to hear your feedback. Chances are there's going to be some of you that don't agree with me, but hopefully there are some of you that give me a thumbs up. So please give me a thumbs up. That's what I want. Right, because... As we all know, or me especially, that when it comes to um, when Kelsa has an opinion, your opinion is wrong. <laughs> this is so not true. <laughs> JK. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now, speaking of travel, let's go right into our main topic for today, which is budgeting and saving for travel and or vacation. Yes. Okay, good, good, good. So why don't you um, just reiterate some of the websites that we had talked about last time for booking travel. These were some of these were shared by some people on the Facebook Live last time, so we just wanted to reiterate them because there are some really good ones. Yeah. So we have four different places where you can get uh, either compare prices amongst a bunch of other websites or get really good deals. So kayak.com is one. Uh, and again, we'll put this in the liner notes of the show, but um, kayak.com is one where it compares all the prices to different airlines and or like Travelocity and Expedia, and you can get the same trip at the best absolute price. Uh, Airfarewatchdog.com can do the same kind of thing, but they also give you alerts when fares have lowered. Um, At Costco, if you have a Costco membership, and we didn't ever find out, I don't know if anybody knows, but um, if Sam's Club has the same type of benefits, but Costco, because we're Costco members, um, has really good prices using them as their travel agent. And then google.com backslash flights. I have uh, to tell you that last podcast, I had never heard of this before. You were the really? one that mentioned yeah, it. And we had cool. two different clients mention this in the, the comments that they were super ex- that they love this. So oh. google.com for, forward slash flights is apparently very popular, and yeah. I'm just slow, which doesn't surprise it's me. It's cool. It's, um, it's for, I, I would say it's more for last minute flights. You pick a region or, like, say you have to be very, uh, let's, well, where are we going to go on vacation? Oh, I don't really care. Okay, Google Flights has a trip going to um, the Caribbean or North America or Europe, and here are your flexible dates, and then it kind of does a 
um, uh, a slot machine type of thing and comes up here are the best trips for your parameters. Cool. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Good, good, um, good. So the other two sites that we like are Airbnb, so airbnb.com. And we also really like VRBO.com. So if you, Airbnb.com and VRBO.com, we really like these. These are where you can actually rent like a house or a studio apartment or um, something along the lines as opposed to a hotel. With Airbnb, I don't know about VRBO, but Airbnb, you could even rent a couch if you wanted to. Yes. You could just couch surf. Airbnb is much more relaxed. It's, I always think of it more of like a hippie yeah. sort of thing. And not not always, though. Airbnb's no, got no, no. some really good ones on there, too. So yes. I don't want you to think it's always hippie, but it's like they have that whole line where VRBO does not. VRBO yep. is vacation rental by owner, and that's much more vacation rental. Yes. Um, but the idea with these is that you can pick a place that has a kitchen. And so instead of eating out three meals a day, so, you know, I think about breakfast. Like, we don't really don't get around when we vacation. And I just like having breakfast in the wherever we're at and then leaving the house later mm-hmm. or the cabin later. So we you can usually go to the grocery store and you can kind of stock up on things as opposed to going out to eat three meals a day. And yeah. the, the prices are really, really inexpensive, I would mm-hmm. say, on these websites. You can find mm-hmm. some amazing deals. It's definitely one of our favorite ways to stay at a, at a city. The other thing I like about it is it's usually, you know, either a house or a townhouse or a condo or something that is not in a hotel district. Right. So you feel like you're almost living within the city that you're going to. Yes. So it feels more local. I don't know. Yeah. I like it. I like it, it is better. very cool. Um, uh, we went to San Francisco like two years ago and, and used um, VRBO, I guess it was, whatever it was. Mm. Um, and... If you have never stayed in a hotel in San Francisco, the hotel prices, even for the, like, they have, um, they're called European style, I believe, where you share a bathroom with your mm-hmm. hall, and they're ridiculously expensive in the hotel districts, in the, in the where you want to be in San Francisco. But for, you could rent a house or, like, a condo or mm-hmm. uh, a studio or or have a couple rooms for the same price or a little bit cheaper than a hotel room and have a and have a kitchen. Right. Um, you know, and it's Let's see, we've done this in San Diego, San Francisco. Uh, we did this at Yellowstone National Park, yeah. so a city right outside Yellowstone. Um, and I would say both in San Francisco if you remember and Yellowstone we liked our house so much that both of those trips, we had a day where we didn't even leave because mm-hmm. we were just so comfortable and relaxed and we mm-hmm. loved it and we had great views of the city and it was yeah. just so relaxing and enjoyable that we didn't even want to leave. It was so right. wonderful. Yep. So you can really find some awesome, awesome places. Yeah. So. And uh, just as, a, as another point, if you can also rent your house out for a weekend if you wanted to, to make a little mm-hmm. extra money. We did that uh, a couple years ago for mm-hmm. spring training. And, you know, we would go stay with my parents or with some friends or whatever. And uh, That was pre-baby. That was pre-baby, for sure. Because there's no way we're yeah, packing her up every pre- time someone wants to run yeah, our house. No. <laughs> but, I mean, you can definitely do that. And it's it's a yeah. decent income and uh, mm-hmm. some extra income. And Yeah, I actually have a client who does that almost every single weekend throughout the year because she has multiple timeshares. And so what she does is she just goes stays in different timeshares and rents out her house. And makes wow, money doing that's it. Cool. Mm-hmm. Pretty cool. That's Pretty cool, cool lifestyle. She gets to stay in all some really nice hotels. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk about the budgeting side of of vacations. Um, the first thing I will say is that if you are going to take a vacation during the year, 
uh, is you need to have a line item, line item on your budget every single month. And you should open a vacation fund or a travel fund, just sort of a savings account where that money goes every single month. And then try and come up with you know, ask yourself over the next year, what kinds of vacations do you want to take? So I'll give you an example. Just recently, I did this in the last week with a client and she said she, her and her husband want to take one trip, just the two of them, like a weekend away. Okay. Without the kids, sans kids. Uh, they would like to take one family vacation. So like a one week long family vacation. And then they want to do something small, like just one night away with the kids. Okay. And so you don't, you don't have to know everywhere you're going to go. You don't have to know exactly what the prices are going to cost or what hotel you're going to stay in. But if you can at least have a general idea of what that looks like in your mind, you can come up with a range of a budget. Okay. For each one of those small vacations. So maybe you just want to take four small weekends away. Maybe you want to do one really big vacation. Maybe you just want to do one small vacation. It's really up to you and your family and how much you can afford. Come up with what that would look like ideally. And then here's another trick overestimate. So whatever number you just came up with, go a little higher. Okay. Because chances are, it's going to be higher. Um, there's things that when you're on vacation, you can very easily tell yourself, well, I'm on vacation. I want to do it. So I'm going to do it. So make sure you allow, it's kind of like this, you know, unknown factor. So just account for it ahead of time, even though we don't know what it is. Um, and don't forget things like food, but also tolls or, uh, parking or taxis, or if you're going to do an Uber, um, if you're taking public transportation, a rental car, hotel, things you might need to buy for the hotel, or like in our case, if we're buying a, having a kitchen, you know, mm. the food we're going to buy while we're there. Excursions, just things that you might want to stop in, drop in and see, uh, whether it's, you know, the San Diego Zoo when we were there or something like that. Uh, souvenirs. So if you're a big souvenir um, person, then make sure you allow for a little of that. If you have children, one thing that I love, uh, one tip is to give them a little bit of money at the start of the vacation that they can buy themselves a souvenir. But once that money is gone, it's gone. So that way, every time you go someplace, they're not saying, can I buy this? Can I buy this? I want a t-shirt. I want this stuffed animal. I want whatever. Like they mm -hmm. can, you give them some money and they can kind of pick and choose in the different locations you go, as long as they're just spending within that amount. Okay. Um, so you want to plan ahead. You want to overestimate, uh, and then you want to try and put that money aside every single month into a vacation fund. One, another trick that I love is to have a separate travel fund from vacation fund. Now, you might be wondering why the difference. If you ever travel to see family, which a lot of us do, a lot of us um, have family all over the place. People are definitely more mobile now than they ever used to be. So mm -hmm. chances are we've you've got either you know, family all over the country or something like that. I always say family travel is different than a vacation. You know, there is definitely some sort of feeling of obligation there. Or when you get to a city like your hometown, you're not exactly like going on vacation. You know, you're there to see family. So that would be your travel fund. But then your vacation fund is something different. I also think about the fact that if, you know, one of my sisters were to call me today and something happened and I need to be on a plane to go there, um, I want to be there in a heartbeat but that's not a vacation, right? Mm -hmm. So that's my travel fund. It's for the immediate need to go see a family member if something happens. Um, and then your vacation is more of an enjoyable trip. Yes. Okay. Not that seeing family is not enjoyable, right? That's not what I'm saying. Right. But you need a vacation after you've traveled. <laughs> yes. After you see family. We yeah. Would, we would go back to Michigan, but I had family in... One part, of, one the part of the state, and the Kells had family in another part of the state. Then we go down to Indiana, in Indianapolis, and by the time we're done, it was great to see everybody, and we had a blast, but we were like, man, I just want to sleep for two more days because 
all we did was travel and then, right. you know. So. Yes. So that actually leads to my next point. Did you know that? Did, were you trying to be, have an awesome segue? Hey, Good yes. job. <laughs> of course you were. Of course I was. Okay. Is, you know, I, I think part of the purpose of a vacation is to come back feeling relaxed and refreshed. Okay. So I'm not saying you can't do anything on vacation. That's definitely not the case. Of course, I want you to sightsee and see some pretty amazing things. Um, but I do see sort of a trap that some people can get, can find themselves in, which is they go on vacation, they come back more exhausted than when they left. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's almost like they try to do too much on vacation. It is okay to say no to some things or to desire to go back to that location someday, you know, because you didn't get to see everything you wanted or something. Um, and the reason this affects money is because, you know, you come back tired, you go back to work tired, and then you're feeling stressed at work. You're feeling stressed about life because you're exhausted. And you live in this vicious cycle of, I constantly need a vacation. I work so hard, I deserve blank. Okay. Because you're feeling like you're constantly working so hard. And then I need a vacation um, in order to combat that. So try to, you know, come, go to on vacation, enjoy yourself, be busy checking things out. But one of the things that Michael and I do, and we did this on our one year anniversary trip and we've done it ever since, which is, uh, we will go to a location and we will relax until we get bored because we are kind of busy bodies. We don't really like to just sit and do nothing a whole lot. Mm -hmm. Um, but we do need to relax once in a while. So we'll sit and relax until we're bored and then we'll go and do something. We'll come back, we'll sit and relax until we're bored and then we'll go and do something yeah. and then we'll come back. So it kind of helps us to balance enjoying our vacation with taking some downtime, whether that's to play a board game or to read a book or to just veg out and mm -hmm. unwind a little bit. Yep. So just those are some some tips. So let us know what your um, tips and tricks are. Using cash while you're traveling, I think, is a really important tip as well. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for all of your spending money, eating out, um, excursions, anything that you're going to do once you get there, take out cash and just know that's how much you get to spend while you're there. That way you're not going to come back. The goal is not to come back and be stressed about how you're going to pay for that vacation. Okay. Right. That's one of those things that completely adds stress. And then you have to work so hard to pay off the vacation that you now need another vacation. Right. Okay. So that's what we're trying to not have happen. Right. Okay? Do they still do traveler's checks? Do you know? Oh, I'm sure they do. I don't know that too many people use them Probably anymore. Not. I can't imagine. I'm just curious. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, I think one of the questions I always get is like, what should I do? Should I take currency or do I take cash before I go and exchange it? And, you know, it really depends on where you're going. So that's not really one of those questions that I can answer unless I know where a person's going. Mm -hmm. um, it is okay to absolutely use a credit card sometimes while you're traveling. So it is a safety thing, especially if you don't have foreign exchange points or uh, fees and that kind of things on, on your credit card. It's not a bad thing. It's just if you're going someplace, especially in the United States, use cash. That way you know here's how much we can spend while you're here. We can enjoy it and not worry about it. Right. And sometimes some credit cards do have extra insurance Mm -hmm. and uh, numbers to call if you lose you know, lose your passport or you need assistance. So they give some assi traveler assistance or whatever they call it. Too. Yeah, and that's a, another good point is a lot of the times now you can either, you can go online or call and say, hey, I'm traveling. Mm -hmm. Please know that this is not a fraudulent yes. charge if you see a charge in another city. Um, it used to be that you had to call. I'm seeing that more and more online now. Oh, and cool. when you log into your online account, you can actually just type in that you're traveling and notify oh, them. That's cool. A travel notification. So uh, make sure you do that. That way, if you are planning to use your credit card while you're traveling, you don't uh, 
have it turned off on you. Right. I actually had that happen to a client. So oh, they found themselves kind bad. of in a Stuck. bind. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember we had to do that. We went, we went to India a couple of years ago for two weeks and we de- made sure we called every card that we had and right. just to be sure because, you know, you, you see you're in Arizona one day and the next day you make a purchase, a huge purchase in India. It's kind of... Yeah, looks, looks shady on which on is paper. funny because there we used cash for everything in India once we got there. Like, right. there's not a yeah. whole lot of credit card right. activity going on in India where we were. So right. Right. you never know. <laughs> yeah, you never I mean, know. I wonder if that'd be more suspicious. There's just one or two right transactions. Sure, I don't know. Yeah, cool. So let us know what you guys think of that. Great. Uh, so let's take a walk over to Carmen's corner, where we talk about talking to your kids about money. I love talking about Carmen. Anytime we can talk about Carmen. Okay. So Carmen's Corner, uh, people say to me all the time, they come in and they're kind of embarrassed sometimes about where they at. And they say things like, uh, you know, no one ever taught me how to do this. Or, uh, you know, my parents never sat me down and talked to me about money. So my challenge for parents is always to not let your children grow up and say the exact same thing. So, but at the same time, talking to our kids about money can be really overwhelming. I know that. So the purpose of Carmen's Corner is to simply give you one tip or trick of things that you can do to help your children learn about money while they're in the safety and the security of your home. Okay. Perfect. So what I wanted to ask today, um, your opinion on is what to do when kids get money as gifts like on holidays and birthdays. They get their Christmas money, they get their birthday money from grandma. What what sh- what should kids do with that? Okay. So, ay ay ay. Um I, you know, a lot of people say that they force their children to save a portion of all of their money. So they have to give me 50% of that or something and I put it in their savings account for them. Okay, it's a very common answer. Um I don't love that approach. The one exception to this is if you are a family that tithes, so you give 10% to your church, this is a value system that you have, it's a religious thing, um, then in your family, you know, they're brought up to tithe, I think that that's a good thing, okay? So if that's uh, something that your family does, then you probably want your children to, to learn to do that too. Um, the reason I don't love the idea of forced savings is because I think it teaches sort of a negative relationship at a young age in the sense that they're forced to do it so they don't want to do it, okay? Right. I think that one of the things that you could do, you want to encourage savings and you want to tie it to something that they really enjoy or that they really want to have happen, okay? So if they want something big enough that's going to take a little bit of time to save for it, um, you know, one teenager wanted a... Uh, Apple, a Mac computer, laptop, okay? So those are pretty expensive, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's something that they're not just going to get with one week's of chores. So it takes time to save. Teach them the power of saving when it's attached to something that they want, okay? Whether that's a video game that's $50 and their chores they earn $5 or something, you know? They will see the power and how fun saving can be when... It's ta- attached to something that they desire. 
Does that make sense? And mm-hmm. it will feel very rewarding and exciting and all that kind of stuff. Now, at the same time, you can certainly sort try to guide them and say things like, you know, we should save for future things that we want, even if we don't know what that is right now. But here's the thing. At the age of five, for example, or the age of six, they can't think that far out. They're not going to be thinking six months out. Right. You know what I mean? So you can say that, and your job is to guide them and to keep reiterating that. But it's okay to allow them to not save that right away. Hmm. Okay? The idea is that the first time they want to buy something and they don't have the money for it right then because they didn't save any of their money before, that is when they will... That's when they need to hear it too. So if you've been saying it over and over and over again, that's the time when if you say it again, they're actually gonna it's gonna start to sink in. Hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think about you know, I I have a friend who was forced to learn the piano mm-hmm. when she was younger. Mm-hmm. And so she hated playing the piano. And you know, I never got to play the piano when I was younger. And so as an adult, I took piano lessons because I really wanted to play the piano, Mm -hmm. right? Think about money as sort of the same thing, where if you force them to do it, (laughs) they may not want to do it. Where if they can learn the power of it on their own, then they'll grow up wanting to do it. Mm -hmm. That's the goal. Makes sense. Okay. Great. Um, I just want to read a, a comment from my mother, actually. She said, when we did German exchange, they were exchange hosts and chaperones to our sister city in Germany quite a few times. And she says, traveler checks were discouraged. I think they might even charge fees to cash them. I, I was going to say, I have a feeling if they're still out there that they probably have a lot of fees attached to them. Like, I just can't imagine that they're that useful anymore. And they, yeah. it's kind of like going and getting a cashier's check from the bank. A lot of banks charge for them now because most people don't need them for things. Mm-hmm. And so I know they just charge a fee for it now. Yeah. And I have a feeling traveler's checks are the same thing. Yeah. And, and cards and credit cards or debit cards or whatever are so universal now that everywhere you go, you can use a card or, or cash. Right. And, and, you know, exchange and get money out of your account with the exchange, or whatever. So it's right. probably almost outdated, I would assume. I do think that's one thing to budget for, though. Are the fees associated Mm -hmm. with accessing your money while you're traveling? It may be something, especially I just had a guy come back from a two-month tour through Europe. And so, you know, you're not going to carry enough cash on you to go through two months. Mm -hmm. So you will be accessing cash while you're over there, whether that's an ATM fee. Um, So, but if you're doing that, just account for it. Make sure that's part of your plan sort Mm -hmm. of thing. You know, part of your budget. Cool. Cool? Great. So what are we talking about next week? Yay. Okay. So next week, normally Michael comes up with the topics and I just say, okay, I'm just going to talk about money. I'm just going to sit here and look pretty. Right. Okay. You do that so, so well though. But this one I've been thinking about a lot lately. So I really wanted to talk about it. Um, is things that people say or think about money that actually has a huge impact on your life. And these are things you don't even realize that you think or say. Okay. Hmm. And some examples, just yeah. I'll give you a Let couple. Me- Lay it on me. Lay it on you. Okay. One of the things I say all the time is that my uh, my grandparents are millionaires, but you wouldn't even know it. Hmm. And I have said that for years. One, it's true. true. Um, and two, they're very frugal people. You would never know that they're the typical millionaire next door. If you've ever read the book, The Millionaire Next Door, it's uh, very typical where, you know, they drive the same Buick for 20 years kind of thing. Um, and I th- that has such a profound effect on my life and how I live. So money, you can absolutely be a millionaire. I don't think that makes you a bad person or anything like that, but I don't think you need to show it. 
right? I, I don't think it defines you as a person. So here they are the type of people that have money, but yet you would never know it because it doesn't define them. And to me, that is exactly why I feel like I am a good financial coach is because I don't hate money. I don't love it. I just want people to have it, but not let it define them. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So mm-hmm. something that I've said forever, and I just say it sort of off the cuff, it really defines me. Uh, there's a whole bunch of these things. So if, if you say things to your kids all the time, like, oh, there's no way we could ever afford that which is something people say all the time in their house, Mm -hmm. right? Um, There's a whole bunch of examples that, you know, people say, oh, I know it was too good to be true, for example. Those are the things that we're going to talk about next week, and I have a whole list of them, and uh, I'm excited about it because I think people say them without realizing it. Yeah, I think it's good to bring awareness, and it's that kind of perpetuating self-talk that is, um, you know, can, can cause some damage and... Uh, you know, the same thing with people that say, I'm never good enough. I mean, you can say the same thing about your finances and you start to believe it. So Yes. Uh, really quickly, we'll come back to a comment that someone said about prepaid visa cards where while you're traveling, that is another good option. Just be careful because some prepaid visa cards, while they're really great here in the States, they either won't work um, overseas or if they do work, they charge really high transaction fees for international transactions. Not always. Just know that if you're looking at the card, make sure that the international transaction fees are not really high. So some of them are like 5% of every transaction. Mm. Wow. Yeah, you don't want that. Great. All right, guys. Well, thanks a lot. We will uh, talk to you next week. Have a great week. Bye. Thanks for listening to The Saver and The Spender. If you like what you just heard, we hope you'll pass along our web address, www.fiscalfitnessaz.com, to your family, friends, and colleagues. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, follow us on Twitter at IamFiscallyFit, and on Facebook at FiscalFitnessPHX. Join us next time for another edition of The Saver and The Spender.